what a blessing it is to get to be here this morning. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Thank you for spending a hot summer Sunday at church. And I hope that uh, the AC keeps up for us and we just stay here and bask in the warmth of God's Word uh, in the midst of the coolness of our church. So um, I'm glad you're here. Normally, what I've been teaching on is Paul, a legal case study. And I've got to do a confession for y'all. I had been working on our next lesson. I have not been dilatory. I've not been idle. I've been working real hard. And I was talking to Becky as I was headed somewhere this week. And I said, Beck, I said, um, you know, I, I, I can teach Sunday and I'll have probably about a B lesson, a B to a, maybe I even said a B minus. I don't know. Um, uh, in terms of at least the written materials, which I try to do for you guys. And, and I said, or I can wait another week and have more time to prepare and I can, can do better than that. And I've got this other thing that's been on my heart that I've been wanting to, to share that I've been thinking this would be a good thing periodically to do. So what do you think? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, don't do a B job. Last thing in the world I want is you up there doing some B minus job. So, uh, uh, which is good because I was worried she was going to say B minus. That's be the best you've done all summer. And so I was thrilled with that. And I want to thank my wife for being so good about it. Um, so anyway, we're doing a little switcheroo, if you will. Now, having said that, I am not, not, not talking about devotionals today from our uh, the Psalms book that I wrote really for my kids and for y'all. <laughs> y'all are like children to me. Um, but I will tell you that, that uh, Baylor is now in a second edition of the book, which really thrills me because of all of the typos in the first edition. Yeah, clap for the typos. And uh, uh, so uh, I'm not saying they're all gone, but Becky proofread two or three months, and so I know at least two or three months are right now. And I did uh, a a few of the others. So this is a second edition. I don't have copies to give to everyone here, but if you don't have a copy of the first edition, which frankly I think now is a collector's item, uh, if you don't have a copy of the first edition and you promise to read it, then I've got uh, about, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 copies, whatever, up here, and y'all are welcome to grab one afterwards. And so that's there. Now, having said that, we need to talk, oh no, my PowerPoint is not going to play the way I wanted it to. I could run back there and make a change, but we're just going to go through it anyway. We're going to talk about the Hebrew Scriptures today. Now, the Hebrew Scriptures, if we were in, in uh, synagogue, we would be talking about the Tanakh. It's a T, an N, and a K. All right? And we just add some vowels to make it sound better than... Okay? So, the Tanakh. The Tanakh is the Hebrew Old Testament. And the T... And the N and the K each stand for one of the three parts of the Hebrew Scriptures. So the Hebrews divide their Scriptures up. And the first part is the Torah. 
Now, Torah is the Hebrew word. That's kind of an English pronunciation. The Torah is a Hebrew word for law. I'm a Toraher. <laughs> Hebrew word for law. And those are the first five books of the Old Testament. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is the Torah. That is the law. When Paul says in Romans, you're not justified by works of law, sometimes he just means any general principle of work. But sometimes he's talking about the specific Old Testament law. When Jesus says the law and the prophets bear witness to me, he's talking about the specific five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy as the law. That's the T in Tanakh, the Torah. Now the N in Tanakh, okay, I don't understand. That's right on my slide. That M belongs up there. For some reason I'm losing that and Brent will help me figure it out. Um, Nevaim. Nevaim is the Hebrew word for prophets. So the Nevaim are the prophets. In the Hebrew Bible, the prophets start at what in our Bibles would be ordered at the end of the Torah. The Hebrew prophets start with Joshua. And they go all the way up through the 12, or the minor prophets as we call them. And the last one is Malachi. Now, those are the prophets. And at times in Jesus' day, they would just refer to the Old Testament as the law and the prophets. And the law is the Torah, and the prophets were everything else. But also, right around the time of Jesus' day... There was a third division that was carved out and recognized as well, and that's called the Ketavim. And again, that M belongs up on a, the, the PowerPoint. I don't know why it doesn't work. The Ketavim, Ketavim is just the Hebrew plural for writings. So these are the other writings. So you have the law, you have the prophets, and you have the other writings. The Ketavim. And this in the Hebrew Bible starts with Psalms and it goes through Chronicles. Interesting, Kings is in the prophets. But Chronicles, which tell a lot of the same history, are in the other writings. They have a different emphasis and a different focus. So within the framework of that being the Hebrew Scripture, my thought was, well, I've done this devotional book out of the Psalms. And I've, I've uh, enjoyed it, and, and it's, it's, a lot of people seem to, to find it useful in their walk, which is, who could ask for anything more than, than a chance to be useful in someone's walk? But I'm a lawyer. So what I need to do is I need to get myself into practice, and I need to do a devotional book out of the law. Doesn't that seem appropriate that the lawyer should do a devotional? Now, you may be thinking, that's crazy. I've been thinking the same thing. Because I've been trying to write this devotional book out of the law. And frankly, it is crazy. But I have inspiration and I have purpose. And my purpose is from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says to young Timothy, 
in 2 Timothy 3, 16, the following. All Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I say person instead of man there because the Greek word anthropos was the word that is for person. It's man in the sense that we still can use man to reference men and women. But I have four daughters. And by golly, the world does not revolve around men. Um, In spite of what our culture may think. That the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I also don't want anyone to ever misunderstand and think Paul was saying Scripture is only for men to learn. Because this Scripture has been misused for that before. And that's not at all what he's saying. It's for all of us. But when Paul wrote this, the New Testament hadn't been put together. Some of the New Testament hadn't been written. We probably don't have at this point in time, or we don't have the book of Revelation... We don't have the, the gospel of John. We don't know what stage some of the other writings are in. The Petrine writings, the book of Hebrews. So anyway, what Paul's talking about here is the Old Testament, which principally is the Torah first and foremost. And that's what Paul had studied. And that's what there's a every likelihood Paul had memorized. So, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do some Torah devotionals. And I've been writing them, and I'm not through with it yet, and probably won't finish. Uh, uh, The publisher has asked me to try and be done by next spring, so the book will come out next year. And I'm on target to do that, maybe get there a bit earlier. But, you ready for some Torah devotionals? All right, so we're going to tour through the Torah. Genesis, Exodus. Okay, that's just really going to bother me. I, I'm just, I'm just telling you, it's, it's really, really going to bother me. Um, um, but I'm going to try and live through it, and y'all are going to help me. Okay. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Let's do each book. Let's start with Genesis. So this is a one-day devotional. Oh, by the way, here's the way I'm doing it. So if we were good, diligent Hebrews we would read through the Torah every year. They have a parsa where they, they have a section for each week. And the Torah is divided up into 52 weeks and you read through the Torah in a year. So I'm writing the devotional book where each week we cover the weeks that a Jew would cover if they're reading through the Torah in a year. Now, that was our, our son's idea, and I thought it was a great idea until I realized what that means we're writing devotionals on. It's not that easy until you really focus on the text. And when you really focus on the text, you'd be amazed at what happens. And that's what we're going to do some on today. But some of these are easy ones to do. So let's get started. Okay, has the PowerPoint now totally gone? Okay, this is going to be much harder if we don't have a PowerPoint. We did what? Oh, you're fixing it. Well, that's sweet of you. Genesis. Okay. Brent is the man. 
and the team is the man. No, the woman. Excuse me. But Brent is not the woman. Okay, let's, we better keep going. Genesis. Here's the passage. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You got it? Most of you know the story. If not, that's pretty much most of the story. I mean, we got to the point now of the song. And so if you know that and know the song, you got the whole story. You know, the uh, go in by twosies, twosies, elephants and kangaroosies, roosies or whatever. Okay, so here it is. Here's the part I really want you to focus on here. Okay, it's not working. I need the next slide. Thank you. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. If you want to read it in Hebrew, it starts on the right and it goes that way. Noah, matzah, chain, ba'eni, ba'ene, Adonai, Yahweh. I'm not supposed to say Yahweh, Adonai. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, it's kind of hard to tell because of the Hebrew script that's there. So we're going to write our own English Hebrew. Okay? We're coming over here. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah's name. Are we? Whoops. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We are technologically... uh, opportunistic today. Noah, now Noah is spelled with two Hebrew letters, N and the letter C-H. You would probably want to pronounce his name Noah in Hebrew, okay? N-C-H. You got it? Noah found favor. Favor is a great word. It's just basically matzah. Noah found favor, found, or that's found, not favor. Noah found favor. Do you know what favor is? C-H-N. In the eyes of the Lord. You see... Noah's name backwards is favor. God doesn't look at things the way we do. God's able to look at things from the other side. From our side, he's Noah. From God's side, God sees in his eyes, he finds favor. And I'm loving this passage for a devotional thought because I thought, how often do we think that the way we see things is the way things are? When we worship the God who can turn things around. You might see things as a dead end. God doesn't. 
You might see a road that just seems to go into a cul-de-sac of your life and you're stuck there. But that's because you're looking at the road from this end at the dead end. God's going to spin you around and put your back to the dead end because he's looking the other way. The whole world was a mess. But Noah finds favor in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the Lord. And God uses Noah to turn around the world. Instead of the world going to destruction, the world goes to a new birth. And I don't know how many times you feel or we feel like we're at a dead end at some point in our lives. But if you ever feel that way, you remember Noah. Because God is able to take you and he will see it not as a dead end, but as a new beginning. And a new start. And he can infuse your life with meaning regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, and regardless of what you and the world see in front of you. That's the God we have. And so um, let's, uh, boy, this is just really a struggle here right now. Um, Okay. So with that, God doesn't see things the way you and I do, and he can turn everything around, and that's your devotional from Genesis. Let's move on to Exodus. Now, this is where it starts getting kind of juicy. I mean, the beginning of Exodus, Genesis is a bunch of really cool stories. Exodus starts out with really cool stories. I mean, you've got Charlton Heston, front and center. <laughs> you've got uh, 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 Phil Keggy's older sister had a role in the, the Ten Commandments, the, the Cecil B. DeMille film. She's down at the stream where Moses, Moses in the basket. I mean, it's a pretty good start to the book. It gets very different very quickly as God draws the Israelites out of Egypt and he takes them into the wilderness and they get to Mount Sinai and God starts telling Moses all of these things to do with the people, including how to make the tabernacle, including how to make the robes and the garments for the priests. And so if you're doing this week by week, according to the Hebrew reading schedule, you've, you've got some weeks that, that are interesting to get into. And I want to give you one that will come out in June. I think this is around June 12th or 13th. Here it is. Exodus 39.30. They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet or a diadem. Holy to the Lord. Kadosh Adonai. Kodesh Adonai. And they tied it to it a cord of blue to fasten it on the turban above as the Lord had commanded Moses. I mean, that's the verse. You got the devotional or you want me to go through it with you? This one might be too obvious. No, here's your devotional thought from this. I love this. It's, it's describing how to make the headdress for the, the priest. To approach God on behalf of the people. And on the headdress, you're going to have a gold plate that says Kodesh Adonai. Holy to the Lord. And it's going to be tied on and worn by the priest. That's the picture. Now here's the devotional. Um, 
we're getting close to August 20th, very special day. It'll be an anniversary day for me and my marvelous wife, Becky. And, uh, and it's your birthday, too? Oh, that's cool. He's, he's uh, decided to get born on our anniversary. That was really neat of him. Uh, so I love my wife. She's my wife. She's not, there's not anybody else in this room who can say that. I am the only one who gets to say of Becky, she is my wife. And she's the only one who gets to say, I am her husband. One of my favorite parts of weddings is when that couple takes those vows to dedicate themselves exclusively to the other as long as they're going to live. Tragically, that doesn't always turn out to be the case. But it doesn't take away from the beauty of exclusive commitment. Isn't that... Miss Carolyn, how long have you and Brother Hank been married? August 16th, 49 years. That's pretty good. And, uh, uh, you know, Hank, I'm amazed that you pulled this thing off. <laughs> you know, in football talk, we'd say you outran your coverage. But, um, Miss Carolyn, uh, uh, congratulations. You got a lot of patience. And, <laughs> no, they're both just wonderful, godly people. But there's a beauty in exclusive commitment. Agreed? I mean, how many people want to go to a wedding where the vows say, hey, I'm going to give myself 50% to you, and the other 50% of my time I'm going to be tomcatting around? No. There's beauty and exclusive commitment. Now, why do I bring this up? That headdress that the priest is going to wear is important for three reasons. I want you to see it's important for what it says. I want you to see it's important for where it is. And I want you to see its importance for how it's made. First, what it says. Kodesh Adonai. Dedicated or holy to the Lord. Exclusively dedicated. That means holy to the Lord. That, that the priest in the service of Israel is going in there. Not partially dedicated to God. It's not, he's not serving before the Lord partially because of God and partially because of the people and partially because of this. No, 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 no. It is a dedication to God, period. No more, no less. That's what it is. Our life is a dedication to God. It's important for what it says. It's also important for where it is. It's on the headdress. It's on the turban. It goes on top of the head. Didn't put it on the soles of his feet. Didn't put it around his waist. Didn't put it on a tattoo on his arm. Put it on the headdress because that is what covers head to toe. In other words, the priest is coming before God, not just dedicated exclusively to God, but dedicated exclusively to God, head to toe, totally. And if you doubt it, look at him. Because it's what everyone's going to see when they see him, when it's right there. It's plastered front and center. 
So everyone knows the dedication to the Lord. By the way, my brothers and sisters in Jesus, this is part of why Jesus is our high priest, dedicated exclusively to the Lord, head to toe, totally, on our behalf. This is also why Jesus, as our high priest, is someone that the world should see as dedicated to God. Side note. So it's important for what it says, dedicated exclusively to God, for where it is, and then for how it's made. It's made out of pure gold. That is the most valuable substance Israel had. There is nothing absolutely nothing in your life or mine that is more valuable to us. To us. God doesn't need gold. God can make it. There is nothing in our life more valuable to us than our exclusive dedication to God head to toe. You cannot achieve anything better in your life i got a daughter who's starting college, Sarah, this morning. In fact, Sarah said to me, Dad, what are you teaching on today? I said, today's going to be a little bit different. And she said, well, sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not. I said, we'll have to see. wasn't quite that way. but Sarah's starting college this fall. She's got to decide what she's going to major in, what she's going to do with her life. I'd give her the same counsel. I'd give a 70-year-old man who came to me and decided what he's going to do with the rest of his life. And that is this. There is nothing more valuable to you in your life than exclusively dedicating what you do to the Lord, head to toe. Nothing more valuable. It'll be the most valuable thing you'll ever do with your life. So I go back to my wedding with Becky. Exclusively dedicated to me, my wife is, as I am to her. And I want to be exclusively dedicated. What is she, a gorgeous bride? I want to be exclusively dedicated to God, head to toe. And I want people to see it when they look at my life. I'm not there yet. I got a lot of work to do. But I know which direction to drive. I know what I'm working toward. Next, I'm going to give you two out of Exodus just because it's so much fun. Okay, how about this one? He also made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue. And the opening of the robe in it was like the opening in a garment with a binding around the opening so that it might not tear. On the hem of the robe, they made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Now, some of you, some of you are thinking, there is no way I'm going to read this devotional book. (laughs) That's the last thing in the world I need for a devotional thought for my day. No, come with me here, okay? Look at it. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for training, okay? This passage scares me some. Now, I'm not typically afraid of clothes, garments, nor the manufacturing thereof. But this passage bothers me a little bit, scares me. Let me tell you why. This is an instruction that the Creator God gave to Moses 
for how they were going to make the priest's robe. Okay? This is the same God who just one book earlier called into being the heavens and the earth. This is the same God responsible for naming all of the stars. This is the same God who made us on a subatomic level. He's got every electron rotating around every nucleus of every atom. This is the same God who created the world and all that's within it. This earth that brings forth life and foodstuffs. This is the same God who's done all of these things that are far beyond anything we can think. So big is He. And yet this detailed God is taking time out from running it all to tell Moses how he wants someone to sew a robe. And he's doing it with instructions so detailed, like add this extra set of stitching around here so it doesn't tear when they take it on and off. Oh, put some pomegranates around the hem of the robe. That'll make it look pretty. This is God. Is it no wonder that this detailed God, when He's on earth, would teach us, as Jesus did, that there's not a sparrow that falls that God doesn't know. That He knows not just the number of hairs on your head, but the person sitting next to you and sitting next to them and all 8 billion people on the planet. I can't keep 20 names in my head. Much less how many hairs are on everybody's head on the planet now and in all of history and in all of the future. This is our detailed God. Now in part that scares me. But more than the scare is the reassurance. Because this God loves me. And this God loves you. And it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, what worries you've got. You worry about your family. You worry about your friends. You worry about your finances. You worry about your health. You worry about your family's health. Doesn't matter what worries you've got. The bedrock for all of those worries is a God who pays attention to detail and loves you and cares about you, who hears you when you cry, doesn't always answer you the way you want it, but he will always give you what you need to walk through it. It's pretty good. We can trust our detailed God. All right, we better keep going. We're running slow. Leviticus. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he's oppressed about his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, dot, dot, dot. Then you have to go offer these sacrifices. You have to pay back to your neighbor plus uh, things like uh, a fifth. So it's like 20%. Uh, and, and, and you get all of these instructions. This is an interesting thing. 
Israel was unique in this way. I can't think of another ancient culture. I'm sorry, I'm going through them all in my brain. I dare say, I challenge, this gets watched by a lot of people on the internet. I challenge you on the internet. I challenge you in here. Find me another ancient culture where this is true. I don't think it's true of any ancient culture, certainly that I'm familiar with. And I spend a lot of time reading about these things. I can, I've got you baited yet? I can't think of another ancient culture where a taboo or a criminal wrong, one person against another, is accounted actually first and foremost as a sin against God. Most criminal cultures, or most cultures, the criminal law is, hey, if you steal from me, I get it back and you go to jail or you lose your hand or you lose your, your life or you lose your freedom, you become my slave. I and mean, there are lots of answers, but it's accountability of people to people and culture to culture, society to society, or maybe vassal to, to, to subject or, or, or to king, to, to whatever. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a societal structure. Not so in Israel. Israel's morals were not simply to make sure the country ran well. Israel's morals had an undergirding fabric that said, first and foremost, it's about your relationship with God. When David sins by committing adultery with Bathsheba and then gets her husband killed, he's knocking and lies about it. He's just taken out three of the Ten Commandments. Pretty bold. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not murder. Don't bear false witness. Not to mention taking God's name in vain when he does stuff like that. And putting his own desires above those of God. Idolatry. So we're at, yeah, and stealing because he took them. Thank you. No, good call. So we've got six right now just brainstorming together. He's done tragic wrongs, and we get out of that Psalm 51. Have mercy, Lord, in your kindness, in your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Against you, you alone, have I sinned. I'm reading that. I'm thinking, well, if I'm Uriah, I'm kind of thinking, well, you killed me. That's kind of sinning against me. Took my wife. David saw his primary sin was against God. That's what's involved here. But I want to tell you something. All of us, none, none, if you're here today, you don't live in a bubble. If you're here today, you interact with other people. And what this passage is teaching us, among many other things, is this. How I treat others affects my walk with God. It's not, don't divide it up. Don't start thinking, well, I wasn't very nice to those uh, people today, but, you know, that's, uh, uh, I'm going to be nicer to them next time I see them. You know, that's just sometimes I wake up on the wrong side of the bed. No. Don't think it stops there. The way we treat other people affects our relationship with God. So if you, you treat other people poorly, 
you need to not only try to do better with other people, but you need to take it to the Lord and confess it. You need to say, God, help me to do better with other people. I mean, God made us in His image. That doesn't only mean what we have. It also means that we are to reflect Him to this world. People are supposed to see us and see God. We are the body of Christ for the world. And how we treat people will affect God and His reputation, but it will affect our relationship with God. So we treat people with honor. We treat people with respect. We treat people with kindness. We don't gossip about people. We don't backbite about people. We don't uh, 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 be malicious and duplicitous with people. We don't envy people. We don't chase after those things. We do positive, good, kind, gentle, loving, upbuilding things with people. Even if they're of the other political party. (laughs) Even if they're of a different economic status. When I'm a lawyer and I go into a courtroom, heaven forbid I go up to the judge and start sucking up to the judge. And then I treat everybody who works for the judge like garbage. Oh, you're the clerk? Get out of my way. I want to. Oh, hello, Your Honor. Because this isn't about that. We are believers. We're wholly dedicated to God, head to toe. And so the way we treat people is not only a reflection of the Almighty, but it is a a, a direct tie to our relationship with God. And I don't want us to lose track of that. All right. Numbers. <laughs> How's this one? First two chapters of Numbers are just basically like number the people, take a census. How many of these you got? How many of those you got? Yeah, here's how you need to do it. And we get to Numbers 2 and we get this passage. The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their father's houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. You got it? Yeah, you got that one. So here's what he's saying. God is telling them how to set up the camp. The tent of meeting is the tent that's been made for where God will visit with Moses, where God descends for the people. It is the meeting place. By the way, I've got another devotional that I wrote on that because when they're making it, it's it's a single meeting place. Always in the Old Testament. Very different from other cultures as well. God always said prophetically and declaratively, I will meet my people in one place. Don't have temples all around. Don't have idols all around. One place. Don't go take home a little idol and say, I'm just going to set up a little temple here. One place. And why does God say that? Because the one place he really meets his people is in Jesus Christ. There aren't 30 different places he meets us. There's one. One way to God. It's through Jesus. So here's what he's doing. He's saying, I want you to set up camp. When you set up camp, we've got the meeting place, the tent of meeting, where God's going to meet with the people. And every family, everyone sets their camp 
where they face the tent of meeting. You go out, you're looking to where God's going to meet you. That's the way you start every day. You can't leave your home without looking to where God's going to meet you. I mean, it's, it's the center point. And all the people are going to be there. And, and it's, it's the way the families are set up. Boy, that's the way I want my family. I hope that's the way you want your family. And if your family's there, praise God, keep it. If parts of your family aren't there, then you just keep praying for that part that's not there and you keep modeling what it's like to be there. You show that love. You show that consistency of God. You let your life be a witness that all of us need to live oriented and focused and directed toward God. That's where we're going to find the sustenance. That's where we're going to, where we're going to find the instruction. That's where we're going to find the things of life that, that, that make us who we need to be, that show us where we need to go, that give us what we need to achieve, what we're to achieve when we get there. We live focused on the Lord. I and my family need to live looking to God. Deuteronomy. Then the Lord said to me, you've been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward. Oh, the people had been in the wilderness for a long time. And oh, it was dry. And oh, it wasn't fun. And oh, yes, they brought it upon themselves. And they needed it. But God never made us with the idea that we're just going to be fruitless traveling around in a dry and arid place. Don't get me wrong. Even Jesus spent time in the wilderness. But God will use that time to make us who we need to be And then call us out. So I just really want this type of a passage to encourage people who are in a dry place. People who say, you know, I don't know that God's got that much more for me. I've been around for a long time. I'm in my 30s. (laughs) I don't care if you're in your 90s. God's got something for you. I don't care if you're totally bedridden. God's got something for you. Do you know how to find out what day God doesn't have something else for you to do on this earth? Be dead. (laughs) But if you're not dead yet, and I'm telling you, I'm looking at you. Over 90% of y'all are not dead yet. Oh, I'm sorry, they were just asleep over there. They, they weren't dead either. Um, overnight, I, I, look, if you're not dead yet, God's not through with you. He's got something for you to do. And if you're walking around aimlessly and you don't live focused on the idea that God's got something for you to do, then this is your swift kick in the rear end. 
Because He does. And if you're living aimlessly, I've got news for you. You've been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward. Follow the Lord. Go where the Lord's going to lead you. Find what He wants you to do. Well, I don't have good enough health to do a lot of things right now. Pray. I have yet to find anyone whose health's not good enough to pray. And if you don't have, well, I don't have that much to pray about. Give me an email address. Because there's a lot that needs prayer. So when I'm in London, I go to All Souls Church at Langham Place, most generally, on Sunday morning. I love that church. One of the things I love about that church is the prayer that they have in their service each Sunday morning. Because the prayer is divided up into three parts. They first pray for the world. And so they'll pray, God, you know, bless the world, bless the turmoil right now uh, in Syria. Uh, bless the, the, the people, the world leaders that are in the generals and others that are trying to figure out how to address it. Bless the people who are suffering at the hands of, of ISIL or ISIS. Bless the, 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 you know, people in North Korea living under oppression and, and the tension over there. And they'll pray for the world. And then the whole congregation will say amen. And then they'll pray for their nation. They pray for Prime Minister Theresa May. They'll pray, God save the Queen. They'll pray for the Church of England and the condition it's in. They'll pray for all of that. And the whole church will say amen. And then they pray for their church. And they say amen. And it's every Sunday. And it's a really cool thing. I want to tell you, if you don't think you've got anything to do on this world... You can just start praying for world leaders and you've got a couple of hundred that are going to keep you going. And they all need the prayer. You say, well, I'm not sure prayer helps any. I promise you it doesn't hurt. And God calls you to pray. God thinks it helps. God didn't set this world up where he was the chess master moving all of the pieces. He tells you to move them. Just move them where he tells you to move them. So with that, we're almost done. But my picture for this is, it's time. There's a road in front of you. Let's go. Let's get it in gear. And let's start following the Lord's direction. Now, I was hoping that I would end with a minute and a half left, which is what I've got, so that I could backtrack for just a moment and give you one last one from Numbers to end our day. And it's one of my favorite ways to end this class. It's from Numbers chapter 6. Verses 24 and 20 through 26. The Lord bless you. May God bless each of you. Thank you for being here today. May God keep each of you in the hollow of his hand. Loving, supporting, guiding, uplifting. Pushing you when you need to be pushed. Pointing you northward when you need to go north. May the Lord make his face shine upon you so that you reflect his love and his kindness and his gentleness and his direction. May the Lord be gracious to you. May you receive his blessings. May you walk and bask in his love. You know, Jesus calls Lazarus out from the, the, the tomb. Lazarus is dead. 
Lazarus, come forth. He comes forth. And the first thing Jesus tells everybody, Lazarus, he's been dead like days. He stinks. The first thing Jesus says is, take off your burial clothes. Because they're not appropriate for a live person. God's brought his children. We're born again. We've been brought back from the death of sin. But some of us are still walking around stinking up in our burial clothes. And I pray that that doesn't happen. That God's graciousness that is there for you will be upon you. That the Lord will lift up his countenance upon you. And that God will give you shalom. That God will give you peace. That's my prayer for you. I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. We'll pick back up with Paul. Pray for me as I write this book. And if you'll commit to praying for me, then when it gets published, we'll give you a copy. Thanks. Thanks.